the Jubilati Singers and Father in Heaven Whose Love Profound. Trinity Sunday, in a Celtic setting, it's Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. is the second part of our look at corruption in Russia and you can hear the full story if you go to Private Passions with Michael Barclay on BBC Sounds Bill Browder was one of the first Western businessmen to set up in Russia after the collapse of communism he explained to Michael Barclay how he became involved and the problems which he faced when dealing with a corrupt government Bill Browder has written a best-selling book about his experiences called A Red Notice. When you went to live in Russia in the 1990s, Bill, what kind of society did you find there as communism was crumbling? Well, they, they made a big decision at that point in time in Russia, which is that to go from communism to capitalism, they wanted to create capitalists. And the way in which they did that was to take all state property and give it away for free to the people through various different schemes. It was the largest transfer of property that's ever 
happened in the history of the world. And it created a total chaotic situation where basically all of these enormous, valuable companies and many not enormous, not valuable companies were all put out there at once for free. And as an investor, things were trading at a 99.9% discount to the same kinds of companies in the West. And this was truly like the gold rush of the 1800s in America. And So that's how a lot of people got very rich. That's how the oligarchs got rich. That's how many people got rich. And it was completely chaotic, but also very exciting because anyone could show up there and do it. It didn't matter whether you had 50 years of experience or one day of experience, um, because no, actually nobody had any experience. And so I was in my late 20s when I showed up there, and I didn't have any more experience, or I should say nobody had any more experience than me. And so as a result, there's this expression, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And um, because I was there early, I became the one-eyed man. And it was just incredible. You could buy something, you could invest, let's say, a million dollars on a Monday, and then by Friday, it's worth $5 million. It was an unbelievable gold rush boom town when I first got there and very exciting. And, and because I was one of the few people who understood what was going on, everybody came to me to do the business out there. I guess you really became too successful and too powerful in a society where there wasn't always room for everybody to be that powerful. Well, at, at the beginning, it was total chaos and disorganized. And there was a lot of crime there. Everyone knows about Russian crime, but it was what I call disorganized crime. Mm. Let's go back to opera and a chorus which I think resonates with you because it's about imprisonment and about release. It's, of course, the chorus of the Hebrew slaves from Nabucco. Do you feel these, um, if you like, these slight connections to what happened to you and to your uh, assistants? Indeed, I do. And, and I think Russia has always had this thing where there were the, you know, the, the, the nobility and the serfs and, and, and now there, you have the um, Siloviki, the, the strong men of Russia, and everybody else is the slaves. And for that reason, this song, it resonated with me.
Giuseppe Sinopoli conducting the chorus and orchestra of the German opera Berlin in music from the third act of Verdi's Nubuco, the chorus of the Hebrew slaves. So a metaphor, if you like, Bill, for the way Russia opened up and became free after the collapse of communism. It was free, but it didn't remain free for that long. There was a, a brief period of freedom, but the um, uh, vacuum was filled very quickly by what I would describe as a criminality. And the criminality wasn't the thugs that you might see in cheap movies about Russia, but the criminality came straight from the government, from Vladimir Putin and those around him. We talked at the beginning of the program, Bill Browder, about how you got kicked out of Russia for good, but Sergei Magnitsky, who worked for you as a tax advisor, stayed on and was less fortunate. Sergei was my lawyer in Russia. He was a specialist on company and taxes. And when my offices were raided, I asked him to investigate why they were doing it, what they were up to, and, and what their objectives were. And he went out and investigated. And he came back and he said, I figured it all out. The purpose of these raids was to first steal all of your companies and then use those companies to apply for a $230 million illegal tax refund to refund the taxes that our companies had paid in the previous year. And Sergei figured out the theft of this money. He then said to himself, we need to expose it, and he testified against the officials involved. And then instead of rewarding him for being a good citizen and finding a terrible crime committed against his country, the people he testified against came to his home on November 24th, 2008, and arrested him. They put him in pretrial detention, where he was then tortured for 358 days and ultimately killed at the age of 37 on November 16th, 2009. How much guilt did you feel about that from your relative safety in London? It, it completely changed my life. For me... I, uh, I felt total responsibility. If he hadn't worked for me, he'd still be alive today. And that burden has driven me to put aside my business career entirely and to focus all of my time, all of my resources, and all of my energies on going after the people who killed him to make sure they face justice. And so when it became clear that there was no chance of getting Russian, uh, justice in Russia, I said, let's get justice outside of Russia. And I said, how do we get justice outside of Russia? And I came up with this idea, which is that Sergei Magnitsky was killed because he exposed a massive $230 million corruption scheme. The people who benefited from that don't keep that money in Russia. They keep it in the West. They keep it in banks in London and Geneva and New York. They buy properties in south of France and Miami. They send their kids to boarding school in England and Switzerland. And so I said to myself, if we can freeze their assets and ban their visas, it may not be the true justice that we're looking for, but it's better than nothing. And that idea I took to America, and I met two members of, of the Senate, Senator John McCain, a Republican, and Senator Benjamin Cardin, a Democrat. And I said, can we freeze the assets and ban the visas of these people? And that became the Magnitsky Act. 
And it's been taken up elsewhere too, hasn't it? Well, first of all, it doesn't just apply to Russia anymore. Mm. Uh, they took it up in America to apply globally. And now we have it in 31 countries. Uh, the EU passed their version of the Magnitsky Act in December last year. That's 27 countries. We have the United States, Canada, here in the UK. It was passed in 2018 and implemented in July of this year. And it's really become the standard for how you deal with dictatorship and, and human rights abuse. Mm. Let's, at this point, Bill, hear some Russian music. Uh, it's by the composer Georgi Sviridov, uh, his Snowstorm from 1975. Is this based on Pushkin? So th th this is a, a very um, important Pushkin piece. My wife introduced me to Russian literature, and, and most Russian literature, almost all Russian literature, there is never a happy ending. Um, this particular Pushkin story, the snowstorm, is the one the one that has a happy ending. And, and that's why I included it. From Snowstorm by Georgi Sviridov with Vladimir Fedosyev conducting the USSR TV and radio large symphony orchestra. 
Selah with He Will Hold Me Fast.
Malcolm Gite has written a series of meditations based on the Psalms. Today we hear Malcolm's reading of Psalm 17. It's followed by the South African choir from Soweto singing Dumisa, which means praise. A response to Psalm 17. O comfort me until I fall no more. In this dark season when I am so frail and fearful, comfort me. I stand before you in your house at evening. I avail myself of Compline's long familiar chant to call on you. I ask you to prevail over the powers that dull and disenchant, over the scoffing of a world that's steeped in its own excess, and instead to plant me firmly by your waters, and to keep me as the apple of an eye, to hide me in the shadow of your wings. I'll sleep in peace and take my rest. I will abide in your rich presence now. And when I wake, I will behold you and be satisfied. Oh, 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 oh,
African voices a little longer, the African Children's Choir sing in English a song which originates from Australia. It's Shout to the Lord.
Haddo is Minister of Pitlochry Church of Scotland. Today she's got a story for us about an old lady. William Bosch, in his book A World of Stories, recounts the story of a young girl's reaction to an older neighbour in her own words. What I remember about my mother is that she was always looking out for older people. She would bake for them. She would give them eggs. She made sure they didn't feel alone. When I was about 12, my mother one day sent me to visit an old woman named Mrs. Casey. It was a very difficult mission for a child because Mrs. Casey had a disease that resulted in many operations on her face and her face was bandaged from her eyes to her mouth and there always seemed to be some kind of leakage and, well, I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I think there was a smell as well. Well, suffice to say, I found visiting Mrs Casey an ordeal, particularly since I was expected to sit and talk and spend time with her. After a couple of visits, my mother uh, told, I told my mother to have one of my brothers visit Mrs Casey. I didn't want to see her anymore. Of course, that was all my mother needed to hear to make sure that I was the one that kept on going to visit. One day in November, my mother announced she was inviting Mrs Casey over for Thanksgiving dinner. I objected, saying it would ruin my favourite dinner of the year, and my mother told me I was just going to have to adjust because Mrs Casey didn't have any other place to go. I thought about the baked turkey and the pies and my all-time favourite Thanksgiving food, sweet potatoes. And not missing, wanting to miss out on any of it, I told my mother I would sit at the other end of the table. But of course, on Thanksgiving Day, my mother sat me directly across from Mrs Casey. I kept my eyes down and I tried to be polite, but it was difficult, especially when the sweet potatoes started coming around. They were filled with marshmallows and brown sugar, just the way I liked them. But as the sweet potatoes came to one of my brothers, he took two. That was against the rule in our house. You took one of anything until you were sure everyone else had one. But he thought he was being smart. He could see I was the last one being served and wouldn't get any if he took two. He also knew that with company present, I wouldn't be able to object. When the sweet potato platter got to Mrs Casey, she counted the number of people and saw that because I was last, I wouldn't get any. So she passed it on without taking one. When it got to me, there was still one left and I took it. And I'm glad to say that I had the good grace to cut it in half and offer the other portion to Mrs. Casey. And when I did that, a strange thing happened. She smiled as she took the potato. And suddenly I didn't notice the leaking bandages anymore. Suddenly she looked like a lovely person. And together we had a great Thanksgiving dinner. And from that moment, I learned never to let a scar on someone's outside keep me from seeing the beauty on the inside. A couple of tracks now from Tennessee Ernie Ford. 
The first one is from a live concert, as opposed to a studio, and you hear him talking to the audience before he sings the song, If I Can Help Somebody. And we'll follow that with Tennessee Ernie Ford again and brighten the corner where you are. We don't want to wear our welcome out. I would like to say one thing. So many of you seem to, to watch our show. 99 and 9 tenths percent of the mail that we receive at the office, and we do get it by the hundreds of thousands a week, it makes us feel so happy when you say, we like it because you do a hymn or a spiritual at the end of your show. Somebody As I pass Along If I can cheer Somebody With a word Or a song If I can show Some traveler He's going wrong Then my living Shall not Be in vain Then my living Shall not Be in vain Then my living Shall not If I can help somebody as I pass along, then my living shall not be in vain. Then my living shall not be in vain. Then my living shall not be in vain. If I can help somebody as I pass along, then my living shall not be in vain. Hey, listen to me now. Do not wait until some deed of greatness you may do. Do not wait to shed your light afar. To the many duties ever near you now be true. Brighten the corner.
Surely find a me here reflect the bright and morning star. Even from your humble hand, the bread of life may feed. Brighten the corner where you let's hear now. and walk in the light.
on 97.5 FM, online at heartland.scot and on your smart speaker. This is Heartland FM News.